Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno, and direct from New Jersey, Metal Walt. Good evening, everybody. Happy, heavy holidays to all. As always, Thursday nights, new content drops. I'm going to be joined by my co-host, Metal Walt, in just a second as we welcome rock photographer Frank White and veteran New Jersey metaler Alan Teccio onto the show. Now, these two metalheads put together a kick-ass book. It's called New Jersey, A History of the Garden State Metal Scene. This is volume one of a three-part series. This book concentrates on 1969 through 1986. Just want to remind you to get up to our website, sign up for our newsletter, check out some past shows, rate and review. If we read your review on the air, we'll send you a tour shirt. Last week, we had Chris Impolitari talking about his now Metal Hall of Fame career. Two weeks ago, we had Sword. Canadian Outfit just released a new album, so they talk about it. And our continuing series, History of Metal, that myself, Metal Walton, Ian O'Rourke navigate. That's all up there on the website. So let me get my brother in metal from the Garden State himself up on the line. Metal Walt, what's going on, man? Oh, it's all good up here. Um, We had a really, really good discussion with legendary Tri-State Area photographer Frank White. And veteran New Jersey heavy metal singer Alan Tecchio of the band Hades and Nonfiction back in the 80s and 90s. And they joined us tonight to talk about their new book. John, what was your impressions of their stories about the metal scene and how they put the whole book together? I thought it was very entertaining. And the fact that we're separated by six hours and 200 miles, it was like I was there as well hearing the stories of the venues and the landscape of how they discovered these bands and followed these bands. And Walt, your interaction as a native New Jerseyan, just the way you guys shared, one, the pride of your home state, and two, how both all three of you were there when this was happening. I'm not going to tease a lot of it. All I have to say is one of the, one of the best little anecdotes of this interview in this story was the fact that, um, well, when he tells the story about how he shot Led Zeppelin in New York City, that alone is worth price of admission. I think these guys, um, number one, I mean, there's a billion books out there about metal, but this this book was put together f- from their hearts were into this. I mean, these are guys that are fans of the music. They're they're dedicated, lifelong metalheads. Yes, they work in the industry, but when you see the final product, you could tell they put 150% effort into this thing. And the idea behind the book is not just to tell the cliche stories about the big bands, but it's to talk about the venues, the fans, the scene, how the scene grew in New Jersey in the 70s and how you know merchandising through flea markets and small market stores and sitting in line at different venues overnight to get tickets and then the stories about the bands in the cell themselves, not just the big artists, but the local bands that cut their teeth. Some of them made it big. Others didn't, but they have a place in New Jersey history. So it really does paint the whole landscape of the metal scene. And to be honest, they had so much passion for this that they said they could not fit it all in one book. So they decided to cut it off. And they're going to come back in maybe another year or so with a second and third edition. I mean, hell, guys, the first book. It's it's 350 pages, and it covers basically the first eight or nine years of the metal scene. That should tell you what it is, and it's definitely a must-have. Got to have it. I agree. That's the bottom line. Got to have it. So uh, let's get into this. Have a happy, happy holiday season. We will be back next week in a new episode. For Metal Walt, I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. 
So let's get this going. Continuing in our series of behind the scenes of metal, we have Frank White and Alan Teccio of New Jersey. Their new book, Jersey Metal, A History of the Garden State's Metal Scene, Volume 1, 1969 through 86. Hey, guys, welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC. We're honored. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, let me quickly introduce you to my brother in metal. Goes by the name of Metal Walt, a resident of the Garden State. What's hey, up, Walt? What's going on? Hey, Alan, Frank, what's up? Good to see you guys again. Thanks. You know, likewise, bro. I feel like we're uh, long lost friends as it is. Uh, uh, you know, how many shows, Frank, and you and I've been at? I feel like I should know you like my brother because we're at the <laughs> same shows all the time. And you know, Alan, we had a nice chat at uh, Dingbats only a few weeks ago at that uh, at that Raven show. So got it to was connect. So, much so, fun. so it much was fun. a great, great night. So. Really, really happy that you guys uh, have joined on this. And I'd, I'd first like to kick it off and congratulate you both on a really, really unique and extremely, extremely detailed book looking into the history of metal in the state of New Jersey. I mean, this thing, this thing, it's almost 350 pages. It weighs about 10 pounds. <laughs> Just really, really, really good. Heavy. Exactly. It's heavy, right? As it should be. <laughs> Tell us a little about, you know, yourselves. Frank, you're the, as I say, the archivist, right? You're the photographer. And Alan, you're the musician. So what are your backstories? How long have you guys been in the industry? How do you know each other? How'd you connect for the book? Well, I started photographing at 12 years old. My first band, after I was with my mother photographing for a few years, was Led Zeppelin at Madison Square Garden. And... I had to take her camera without her knowing about it. I had to tell my parents a lie and told them I was down the street where I was actually at a concert in New York City. You know, I had to take a bus and walking through snow to get down to the garden, take pictures and buying a ticket. You know, it was like a whole new experience for me. And it was experience in itself just seeing the show. It was, it was when you walked in, it smelled like marijuana, you know, all over the place. Uh, you know, everyone was all excited and, uh, you know, I had a, a great experience for my first show ever. I mean, it was like Led Zeppelin. I mean, my God, I was a fan of those guys for like, um, six years before I went and saw them live. So, um, I just you know, made sure that I was taking some really nice photos because I didn't know if it was going to be my only show, <laughs> if my parents ever caught me. <laughs> Luckily, they never did. And I was able to keep going with it for a long time. So uh, that's how I started. And I am I just went to show after show, like every few weeks, you know, I would go to another show and went through the same routine with my parents. And uh, before you knew it, I had two and a half years of photos under my belt already. By the time I was like um, almost 15 years old. And um, that's when I asked my father for a camera and he bought me one. And I started taking pictures with that camera. And then that went on for a few years and I was uh, able to get some really close seats because I met a ticket broker in the store I was working with uh, called Collector's World in Bergenfield. And I ended up selling tickets for the guy. I was just like Mike Damone from uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, selling my uh, tickets at high school, my high school, uh, the mall, my friends, you know, anybody who wanted them. I took the best seats that I could get my hands on. And, you know, it, it's what's what you see in the uh, in the book. In terms of meeting me, I was in a band called Prophecy, and Frank actually did his first photo shoot where he posed a band with us. Yeah. And that was like 84 or something like that, 83, 84. Yeah, and, uh, you know, all up to that moment, I was just shooting live concerts. I'm, You know, before I met Alan, the biggest band, uh, I met ACDC in, in a hotel in New York City, and I was with them, like, just hanging out in the uh, lobby with those guys. And it was a great experience with me and my friend, Richie, who were in the book. And we um, were with them for about, I would say about an hour or so. And we had a great time. I was like, you know, just got some amazing photos of them just hanging out. And then maybe within a, a year or so, I would say like a couple of years later was when I, when, when we kind of met and I did my first photo session with, with his band prophecy. I got to ask, uh, Zeppelin, what year was this? 75. 
75. So presence tour that era and ACDC. What year were you hanging out with them? Was it with Bon Scott? Uh, that was after, after it was, it was after Brian bon Johnson. Scott. It was brought Brian Johnson a year after he was with the band. Okay. So Zeppelin at MSG. How old were you at the time? I was 12. Fucking a man. 12. And and you're... Dude, jumping a bus in a snowstorm. This guy, <laughs> my mother didn't like to drive. She would take the bus into the city to see her parents. And so little did she know she was teaching me how to go into New York City. <laughs> yeah. You know, never thinking that I would ever take the bus by myself to a show without her or my father knowing about it. That's great. I have one quick question. I'm going to really let Lance drive this because, you know, he's the Jersey guy. But we had Mark Weiss on the show when his okay. when his book came out and the story about him when he was younger going down to msg taking pictures of kiss they would be there for a couple nights he right. would uh take the pictures and then the next day sell them outside and doing uh, the same thing yeah. but i was selling them in buttons <laughs> what happened was i was working at this place called collector's world in bergenfield in uh in new jersey in 78 and uh the store owner had a button machine i was selling photos in the store and so the guy asked me if I wanted to have a few of my photos into buttons. I was like, yeah, sure. That'd be great. Cause at the time buttons were a big deal. Yep. And so I ended up uh, making a few of them and they started to sell. And I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to these shows, maybe I could sell not only tickets, but I could sell buttons outside. So I put them on a piece of cardboard and I would have them so I could fold them up and put in my jacket in case there was any cops walking by. <laughs> and so me and my friend would take each side of the arena and stand outside and sell tickets and sell buttons at the same time. Lucky Peter yeah. Grant didn't find you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, I could tear ass and he would be, you know, getting too far behind. Yeah. So, hey, uh, hey, guys, you know, again, we know that the book is New Jersey centric, so to speak. But, you know, my look at it, any fan of metal or hard rock and easy to assimilate to the content you know, just like if you were to pick up a book about the Sunset Strip out in L.A. or maybe something about Birmingham, England in the black country, you know. So, Alan, I know when when we talked recently, you said this was a, like a real labor of love for you. And that's a nice way to put it. But how did the decision come about to make a book about this? So it was totally Frank's idea. He came to me after I had edited his Dio book. I read his Dio book and I, I caught, you know, a bunch of typos and a different kind of like Brit speak kind of tone to it. It was printed in England. And once I gave them the uh, manuscript back, they changed words on me and then they went right to print with it. So right. I didn't get a chance to check out what else they did to it. And and they also switched uh, my cover and title of the book too. while um, when it was already out there with one title, they switched it on me and they never told me about it. So I had a start press all over again and I got Alan involved. And then within a few months later, I asked him to be my co-author. Wow. And is it uh, true? Cause I've read up in the liner notes that this is just the first volume that you guys plan on putting out eventually like a second, maybe even a third volume. At first we wanted to do 69 to 2021, but then as time went on, it was becoming quite clear that it would have been over a thousand pages and logistically wouldn't be able to sell great and wouldn't be able you know it'd be too much to ship so we decided to break it up into two volumes and then when we realized they would still have been too many pages we made it into three volumes so the second volume is uh, 1987 to 2004 which we're starting to work on and then when that book is done then it'll be 2005 to 2021 that's amazing. I mean, that's yeah. going to be what a collection that'll eventually be coming. Sure. You know, I, I would say I'm excited for the volume one, but it almost leaves you hanging at the end of 86 when you, right. you close that last page and you see Joel and yeah. Turner and then you two guys in there and you're like, all right, right, you know, leave me hanging for another year before this comes out. We, you know, we can tell you that in 1987, the first the first uh, stuff that you'll see will be when uh, Raven played at the Capitol Theater in Passaic with uh, Wasp and uh, Slayer. The first book sets the stage. The next book is going to take it to another level. Right. It sounds amazing. So you look at the cover. Mm -hmm. It's a crowd. I mean, for me being the local guy, it's apparent this is the old giant stadium. Right. Um, what show was that taken at? Do you remember specifically? It was taken at Monsters of Rock. 1988? Right. But what happened was at the time when we started the book, 
it was like we wanted that as the cover photo because it just kind of said metal right there, you know? And uh, we thought it was going to be the cover for the entire decades we were doing the book. But then when it came closer and closer to finding uh, a cover just to, up to 86, we just thought that that would still be the really best cover for us at that at that point. So we decided to keep that. Now, was that show number one or show number two? And I bring that up because I went to the second show, which I believe was a Saturday. And I only remember that because I graduated high school on the Friday. <laughs> so it was at my high school graduation in Kearney. And Saturday was like, you know, pile into the old Buick Skylark and go down there with your buddy in a case of beer and get whacked. You know, <laughs> Kearney. Yeah. Love it. Um, I would guess it would be Friday because normally when uh, photographers went to some of these shows, usually it's the first day. Frank, hey, in a, in a general question, just coming off the top of my head, how many shows do you think you've attended and shot photos at? Is that like, do you have a record hundred, of that? Hundred, a hundred, a hundred. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I never counted the amount of shows I've done over the years, but. I would say each month I would have done at least maybe like a dozen or more, um, you know, split them up a, f a few per week. And then I would do like photo sessions with bands, you know, through, and I still do. Um, but I don't do as many live shows, you know, I'll do maybe like a couple a month. Um, sometimes none, like the month of December, uh, I don't think I'll be photographing any shows. I might maybe go to one or two of them. But for the most part, it'll be just, you know, to hang and, you know, and just kind of work on, um, you know, book number two and uh, the things I got going on in my life. You mentioned Dio. Were you involved with this new Dio documentary? No, and, just and, just the book with uh, the company. And that Wasp Slayer Raven tour inside mm -hmm. the Electric Circus. I had a chance to see that up in Toronto. I was living oh, in Toronto at cool. the time. Probably right around the time I saw him at the Capitol in Passaic. January 87, I think. It was. Right. All right. Good shit, man. Good shit. <laughs> so, uh, hey, guys, you know this because uh, you've been around it a little bit more than me. And, hey, I'm only the fan guy, right? I just go to the shows and we just we're all at it together. But, you know, the, the New Jersey metal scene and even New York to a degree, it's kind of a it's a small world in many ways, right? You go to the shows. You don't know half the people there, but you look at the people in the crowd and you're like, man, I've been to at least 50, 60, 70 shows for the last 30 years with that guy. I never talked to him or anything. And yeah. I can tell you, you know, through the music, we know it's not just a hobby. It's a lifestyle. And I've made so many acquaintances and friends through it. Um, I think we've crossed paths with certain guys that you know as well. I'm really good friends with uh, uh, Brian Rodemacher. Who you oh, uh, yeah. know, Frank? Yep. I'm, yep. I'm good friends with Brian. He's in and... our book. He uh, photographed the Thor photos back in 1980 at the Showplace in Dover. Nice. See that? Yep. Great guy. I, you know, worked with, you know, he's interviewed me for his uh, Rock Eyes mm -hmm. show. And, um, you know, I've known him. I've known him since around probably like uh, late 70s, you know, early 80 time period. You know, we'd run into each other at shows and I would talk to him about his photography and all. And, uh, he seemed to, uh, you know, really like the the things I was telling him, and we became friends uh, ever since. Yeah, we're, we're we crossed paths with a Carney connection, and another name that you probably know too, and I think he's mentioned it in the book was the late great Herb Newman, Magic oh, Man. Yes. So right. very very good friends with Herb, and up yep. until his passing, mm -hmm. and uh, you know he was a real character in and of itself. But the point of all of this is, I you know you look out at your credits that you give in the book for you guys. It's enormous. Like, how do you assemble a cast of characters, guys to help out with the stories, bring the light, you know, bring the light together, bring the bands in that? I mean, Alan, is that your skill set there where you kind of did the narrative while Frank did the photographs? No, I think, well, I mean, there is something to be said for that. But I think Frank was the glue for a lot of those connections. Yeah, I, you know, over the years, um, being a photographer and, uh, you know, being in the business, you just get to, uh, you know, know people and, People give you business cards or, uh, you know, you just find out things online, how to get in touch with some of them. And we just took it day by day. Um, you know, we we try to compile as much as we could and they're all little pieces to a puzzle. And we just had to, you know, put them in the right places and then it fit well. And then we just kept going from there. I think it's an amazing testament to you guys. And, and I was going to remark on that a little bit later, but. 
the, the overall content, it really contains, you know, all the big bands that everybody knows and loves, but you really get deep into, you know, the bands that cut their teeth in New Jersey that are yeah. maybe bigger names, but they got their start in the scene. And then, you know, the local acts that are maybe, you know, here and gone already, but they have a place in everybody's heart in uh, in New Jersey folklore. So, you know, right. I always think like when you think metal or hard rock, you know, the average fan around the world is going to think for Jersey, they think Bon Jovi, they think Skid Row. Mm -hmm. But there's obviously much deeper roots in uh, in the metal scene from New Jersey. And I think your preface really, really calls it out where J.J. French of Twisted Sister writes that out. And he really calls out that that scene uh, really boomed in the early to mid 70s, mainly after they dropped the drinking age back, I think, to 18 Right. And then that was also the emergence of like, you know, arena rock and and hard rock. And that became like the forefront what was on radio stations like WPLJ and whatever. And mm -hmm. also they re they restricted apparently like there were sound restrictions that were removed. So, uh, you know, tell us about those formative years and, you know, what, you know, Twisted Sister means to you guys in terms of contributing to this book and your friendship. Well, um, I met JJ in 1980 at this uh, Long Island uh, music festival. And that's when I met Richie Rano for the first time. And he was, he ended up being my neighbor, lived a few blocks away. Uh, and when I first heard of Twisted Sister, like in the late seventies, I was just blown away by their music. And um, I just said, I had to meet these guys and then I had to start photographing them. They just seemed like the perfect band to uh, come into my life at that time and the duck and donut story is amazing and yes and when i was working at dunkin donuts after a show at the circus in bergenfield they happened to come by at three o'clock in the morning after i went home changed my clothes and went up the street because i lived up the street from dunkin donuts and they happened to walk in within like a half hour after i was started working and i was like i was telling them like wow i just saw you guys up the street and here you are now without your makeup on regular clothes and stuff it was just it was just weird for me to see a band you know, come into my workspace. But, you know, hey, you know, they have a long drive home, so they needed coffee and donuts, right? But they were impressed by his work <laughs> ethic. <laughs> and so I ended up, uh, you know, uh, becoming friends with uh, JJ over the years. And I saw them many times at the clubs in um, northern New Jersey, you know, maybe like Fountain Casino, um, you know, sometimes in New York. Uh, in the city in, or Long Island, but a lot of times was like at the soap factory in Palisades Park, uh, the circus in Bergenfield, uh, the hole in the wall in Rochelle Park. And um, I just kept following them. And then they got signed to Atlantic Records and they went off from there, you know. And uh, I give them a lot of praise because, you know, they stuck to their guns and, uh, you know, they just, uh, just a, a, a mind-blowing band to see live especially in a club um so i give them all the praise in the world for what they've done over the years and i'm friends with jj to this day and he was the perfect person to ask to do the the preface for our book because he knew so much about the new jersey uh music scene back in the early days of when it started out and so he's like one of the pioneers of of that kind of music you know, so. I think we were uh, coming up on the uh, 20th anniversary or anniversary of the New York Steel show. Were you guys at that one? I was at that yeah. one in, in attendance when they reunited for that gig. Were you guys there? Yes, I was. I was not. Okay. I was also at this show. I, I remember uh, it was a show at Don Hills um, in lower Manhattan where the band came out without no makeup on. But then the New York Steel show came and I think they put some of it back on. Um and uh, it was a it was a great show for a great cause. So it certainly was. Yeah. yeah, I think their their non makeup band was called Bent Brother. If uh, if my memory right. serves me right, because yes. they uh, they played up at uh, up in Morristown at a little bar called Double D's. I remember a few years <laughs> yeah, later. Yeah, well, I was at that club for a that was the loudest show I think I've ever been at. I, I'll never mm. forget that one. My ears were ringing for weeks after that. <laughs> <laughs> and and you had the girls right next door. <laughs> so Vern just to paint a picture this was a rock club connected to a go-go bar in one oh. building and when you went in the front door you paid your admission go-go bar was to your right club was to the left yep. and uh, you would see the girls come out slide down the pole then the bands around the corner yeah that's not too far away from me and I mean it's long gone but that was a cool little place for a yeah. while it was Sounds also nice. a place in Sea Caucus I think it was called the Blue Room yeah 
that yeah. had the same kind of setup. Rock yeah, right next to AJ's. And, uh, you know, wiggling at the other side of the bar. <laughs> Uh, that's, a, that's a whole nother topic but i always yeah. say like there's certain 80s music i think danger danger and certain other bands rat that to this day that screams strip club when i first turned 21 and oh, yeah. 19 <laughs> and you know in whatever 1991 or whatever that was like the music they played when you went to happy hour friday night you didn't hear yeah. this dance crap you heard rat you heard <laughs> la guns right yeah well, but, well hey, okay, excuse me quickly talking about the the ballet if you will uh, 87, I mentioned that I was living up in Toronto while I was a freshman in college. I was going to school up there for recording arts. And here I was a 19 year old American. The American dollar was through the roof. And there I was going to the brass rail for lunch three days a week. Because, nice. Yeah, we all know how uh, the uh, Canadian ballet is uh, second to none. So, <laughs> you know, triple X doors, full, uh, full nudity and jamming metal. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had it going on up there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> hey, 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 Frank, just, um, you know, I don't want to get off the Twisted Sister topic because there's some amazing photos that you have in the book that date back to, I think, 1973. And to me, you know, I did a double take. I had to look at the guys and I couldn't even make out who some of them were. It, I mean, were there different guys in Twisted Sister at that time? And then yeah. a little bit later, there was a, a, a grouping of photos from a venue I never heard of called the Sunshine Inn in Asbury. Some amazing photos of Kiss from '74. Right. So, how did these photos of both of those bands surface? Well, uh, okay. So, since I've known JJ for so long, uh, I went over to JJ's uh, place in New York City, and I spoke with him, and he gave me those photos to put in the book. So, those are his uh, original. It's, a, it's the original Twist Sister lineup that you see there and um the other photos from uh the sunshine Inn, we got those from this uh girl uh cindy um smith she uh gave them to me because uh i happened to contact her through uh someone else and we were able to uh meet and then i went over to her house in new jersey and i was able to pick out photos right from her uh photo albums and all those photo that you see in the book were just sitting there, just waiting to be used. And I was so glad that I found them, and we made sure we put them right in. <laughs> yeah, it made really, so really much, it's made, and it made really perfect uh, sense too, because it was at that time period where everyone was starting to wear makeup, and uh, Kiss was, you know, trying to lead that pack. Who were uh, who were the members of Twisted Sister in those photos? I mean, J.J. French was obviously one of them. Was it the other guys in there, too? Or were there some different members, if you recall? Oh, yeah. That's all the original lineup. I mean, D came in in 76, and then uh, Mark Mendoza came in from the Dictators, and uh, then the other guys came in. You know, Eddie, well, that, Eddie that, came in. That's the Jersey connection, because it was a Jersey band called Silver Star, and they were looking for a guitar player. J.J. answered their ad. He lived in Manhattan. And he joined a band in Hohokus, New Jersey, and then got them to change the name to Twisted Sister. So the original lineup is the guys you're talking about were originally Silver Star. And then over time, it became much more of a Long Island band. Wow. That's information I wasn't yeah. aware of. Thank you, Alan. It's a good, good uh, back history there. Yeah, it's also it's in the book, too. Hey, uh, Frank, you know, you, you started off by talking about how you took your first shots when you were 12 and around at the Led Zeppelin, the garden show. But. In the book, there's a long period where you really showcase like a lot of those shows, you know, Beacon Theater, Capitol Theater, The Garden, Nassau Coliseum. I mean, you go through it. It's amazing. You got Zeppelin, Bad Company, Rainbow, Queen, right. Alice Cooper, Ted Nugent, ACDC. I mean, and that's just the 70s. And then you get up into the 80s. Mm -hmm. You know, you have Judas Priest and Maiden and, and Van right. Halen. Ozzy's debut as a solo artist, you know. Black Sabbath changes with Ronnie James Dio and then Ian Gillen coming in under uh, Born Again. So right. for both of you guys, like just in general, maybe outside the book, what was your takeaway from that period of metal? My time photographing music uh, started out in New York City because when I was a child, you know, going into teenage years, I didn't have anybody to take me. So I would do all my photographing in New York City because there was no arena here in, in New Jersey for anybody to go to. So the closest one would be Madison Square Garden. And then you got the Academy of Music, which turned into the 
Palladium and yet other places to go to too. Now, if I was a little older at the time, you know, I could have maybe taken my car to the Capitol Theater or to Convention Hall. So I had to settle on going into New York City until I I found rides that would take me to uh, other places. So my friend Carlos is in the book and he was the one who had a van and he worked with me at Dunkin' Donuts and he drove me to these shows. And so I got to appreciate other venues and other uh, forms of music um, because he had a, a vehicle that would be uh, spacious enough for us to enjoy while we went to a show. And, you know, it got me into photographing more different types of music. And then I got my own car and I got into other types of music as well while, you know, I was photographing heavy metal. And so I got to appreciate all different types of music through the early part of my life. And, um, but heavy metal just ended up selling more than a lot of other music for me. And so I concentrated on that a little bit more. Um, but then, you know, other genres came in and I would photograph them at times. And then, you know, just, uh, went back to what sold the, the most, which was uh, heavy metal music. And so I got to really sink in real deep into my life with that kind of music. And so I appreciate it to this day. And so I try to give back now by doing these kind of books to show, uh, not only New Jersey, but the United, rest of the United States and the rest of the world, what it was like living here in New Jersey during that time period and enjoying the uh, heavy metal music of our state. Now, yeah. I was probably too young to have gone to Rock and Roll Heaven on Route 18 in East Brunswick. You you make sure that is well featured in the book. Right. I mean, that was a big flea market. It was Clark, the, the, uh, the Rock and Roll Heaven in yeah. Clark a few years later. Okay, so I don't know about that. Was the, to tell us about that was like that the place to go for metal fans to hang out and congregate. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the uh, uh, back then, uh, at first uh, the the flea market, uh, you know, Rock Roll Heaven was in a flea market that was like in a giant, like let's say uh, one big store that they made into like they uh, sectioned it off, and John and Marsha got their little piece of the uh, area inside the store and they set up shop and uh, it became an instant hit with a lot of fans of uh, heavy metal music. And then I guess over time they decided they wanted to get their own store. And so they moved over to Clark, which is uh, not too far from East Brunswick. And um, they uh, decided to, uh, you know, set up shop there for a few years. And I, you know, when I went there, I always saw, you know, some people hanging out, buying records and all. It was always busy. Um, and they had, you know, bands come down and hang out. And uh, just uh, a good meeting place to, you know, listen to music, buy music, and have a good time. John, you recently hosted uh, Raven up uh, up in Rochester yep, for yep. Uh, an Metal Mayhem ROC supported show. And you're pretty good friends with the Gallagher brothers who also supported Metallica at that big John and Marsha tribute show in Florida. Yep. Um, John, tell us a little bit about that or any questions for Frank and, and Alan on, on the Metallica years, Old Bridge Metal Militia and that period of time down there in Jersey. Just a couple of quick questions. Anthrax, when before they really got big, did you shoot any of that? There was that famous, I think it was Anthrax, Anvil, Raven show. And did you shoot any of those uh, early Metallica Jersey shows before they came up to Rochester, ironically enough, to record Kill Em All? How involved were you in that Johnny Z metal scene? The first time I photographed Metallica was at the Paramount Theater in Staten Island on April 8th. 1983 it was the second to last show for dave mustaine okay. and um on that same bill was uh vandenberg and the rods and yeah. uh, vandenberg was headlining and metallica was the opening band and you know the show I, I i just fell in love with the guys they were so cool and their music was just so outrageous at the time uh, after they were over with, I went straight over to their merch table, bought their uh, the Metallica Metal Up Your Ass shirt, which just had just the words. There was no toilet bowl with a, yeah. with a 
sword sticking out of it. And uh, I ended up meeting James. And I asked him, I go, do you like to be called James or Jimmy? Because, you know, everyone had, like, you know, nicknames back then. So he liked to be called, you know, like James. I'm like, okay, cool. All right, James. And then, you know, I would meet the other guys. And um, I also photographed uh, Anvil back then. Uh, Anthrax had photographed, I think, like, starting in 84, 80, early 85 around then and um some of the raven uh photos guys uh with anvil in 1982 actually when they were on tour together uh, so i started photographing those bands that johnny was involved with you know right around right. the time that he started um you know his rock and roll heaven Walt mentioned that uh, in October, I uh, hired Raven. They had a tour stop in Rochester and the ties, the Rochester pipeline to New Jersey and Johnny Z is well documented. Johnny yeah. brought the Metallica guys up here. Well, it so happened uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was down in Jersey with visiting Walt and we were going to the Merciful Fate show. On my way back, I stopped and had lunch with Carl Kennedy. Because we, nice. okay, yeah, we've de uh, developed a friendship. Well, Carl was telling me that exact story about the Vandenberg show. <laughs> you know, so it's it's full circle here. He's yeah. telling me the story, and when I was talking to Carl, I'm like, oh, I can only imagine. Now here I am speaking to the guy that shot it, and it's <laughs> it's just um, uh, it's a nice connection between up here in Rochester, New York. And what was going on in Jersey. And that's why right. I'm really interested in this. And, you know, we may be separated by six hours, but we're all cut from the same cloth. And yeah. Yeah. That, that was a magical time. And well, I wanted to make it part of the book because it was such a magical time. And, you know, if I didn't, you know, who would? Who would put all that stuff in there? Who would find, you know, all the information? Um, I figured I would. And Alan. With his help, you know, with everything, you know, we really put together one hell of a book. And so we're so glad that we were able to bring it out to the people and uh, really show them what Jersey was all about back then. Are there any pictures or documentation of the Old Bridge militia gang? <laughs> in, yeah, in the book, sure. There are there are definitely pages where they're in. Um, we have like photos that was taken by the Slayer's uh, road manager of the band in Metal Joe's basement from the Old Bridge Militia. He rented a home in Farmingdale, New Jersey, and the band came down, came to his house, and uh, they had uh, another photographer, a friend of mine, Kevin Hodap. He photographed some of the photos in the book. He photographed them with Metal Joe upstairs in one of the rooms, and afterwards he left, and didn't stay to photograph the show in the basement, but the road manager was there and he ended up photographing those photos that you see in, in the pages. Um, and you know, that back then that must've been some hell of a show to be there with yeah. just a handful of people downstairs in a crammed in a basement with a bunch of gear and, and dirt bikes in the background. <laughs> Listeners, this is a perfect illustration of how it was back in the day, because it's, been documented up here in Rochester when the Metallica guys stayed with, they befriended people up here and stayed at their house. Yeah, so it was. I was with bands where I was with this band in Paler and we toured down through uh, the Southeast of the U S and we stayed at a guy's house in um, Myrtle beach. Oh yeah. We slept on his floor, you know, and then the show was the following day and he was the promoter of the show. Yeah, and it was it's just the way it was for certain bands, you know, and other bands obviously had hotel bigger hotel rooms, <laughs> bigger, you know, tour buses and all, but they had a like a, you know, I think it was like just a regular um, I think it was like a bus or van or something. And um, you know, I just just took it okay as normal and we just had a great time. Hey, hey, guys, in addition to the massive amount of photos that are included in the book, what I think is really neat is the inclusion of the old venue ads. Right. Um, taken out of print and, you know, pasted in there where you could look back at any venue and any given year and night and you could see, oh, my God, look at all these bands playing yeah. either on one night or over a weekend or a period of a month. So 
Alan, uh, did you get involved with this at all? Were these out of the aquarium or the old East Coast rockers? Like, did you pick through those archives or something? That's actually a great question. (laughs) (laughs) So it's uh, just literally a day or so ago caused a little bit of a stir for us because they did give us access to their archives completely. However, we never got anything in writing about this. And we spent mad, mad hours, especially Frank. But, you know, it. I, I wanted to get the the best images, you know, for our book because it deserved it. Well, it helped us, it helped us timeline everything so that, we can get the dates that right. Too. And the book is, if you didn't mention it already, written you know month by month, year by year. So it tries to be continuous, you know what I mean, and, and have a continuity to it. However, they saw it that are in the book and they wanted them removed. So we are now right now redoing the book. So the books that we have now, which is I don't even know. It's crazy. And honestly, it's our own fault for not getting into writing, but they don't want it out there. So, so we're going to have to reset the book. Which it's going to make the photos a lot bigger. And Frank's actually doing a great job getting other photos to replace a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So we're, we're already like a quarter away done with the book already. But the books that are out there now, they're the last ones anyone will ever be able to get. So it'll you know be I mean? like, uh, it'll be more special. For those fans out there that are interested in a book, buy your copy now and get the rare edition with the yes, Aquarian and they are going ads fast. in there. They are. They I'm are sure going they fast. Are. Dude, every day I wake up, there's more sales on the website, and it's a beautiful thing. I go to the post office every day. Yep. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, and I appreciate the little uh, the little recycling travel bag that came in the uh, the book. So that's an added bonus. Yeah. And, you know, just trying to help out the planet one book at a time. Exactly. Exactly. So, hey, guys, earlier I, I mentioned that, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on the big bands. But what I also really liked is you you really give due diligence to some of the lower profile artists. And I called out bands like TT uh, Quick, which, of course, had Mark Tonillo of Accept Fame in there now. And you had Prophet, who was a Jersey band, yep. even Sabotage, who is a dear you know favorite of mine, even though they're from Florida. Overkill is one of my favorites. Um, and even Ray Gill, and I'm a big Black Sabbath 80s geek and. We actually, John and I just did an episode on uh, picking apart the discography of Badlands recently, which will air soon. So tell us about some of uh, the brushing with your friendships with these artists and how they get involved with the scene. Um, well, with uh, Ray Gillen, um, I th- I saw him probably maybe once with Harlot uh, in the clubs. And then I didn't see him for a couple of years, but I had his information and then um, he called me one day and, you know, he told me he was going to be in uh, Black Sabbath. So I ended up uh, going to photograph his uh, first show, which was in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, which is in the book. And then I photographed him at his house in uh, in New York City, near Central Park. And uh, we've always had uh, a great time together, uh, hanging out. And, uh, you know, we both enjoyed each other's company and, uh, you know, it's sad that he's gone for so long now. He, he could have went on and done some great things with his, with his, with his talent. Uh, but, uh, we had to at least put him in the book cause he was in a, a bunch of Jersey bands and we just happened to be friends with people that knew him well. And we were able to collect uh, a nice gathering of photographs and to, decide which ones were the best ones to put in. And that's what you see now. One other thing I wanted to just ask, and this is probably not captured in the book, but I could be wrong just about the ongoing support of radio. Right. And I think, uh, you know, up by us in in the FM area have WDHA out of Cedar Knowles was close by us. And I'm still a big supporter of these guys. And of course you have Seton Hall radio WSOU. I mean, these are institutions to me, Alan, what are your thoughts on, on these radio stations? Well, for sure. I mean, DHA was a big local Jersey station, but SOU, I mean, during my years in Hades, especially nonfiction, uh, we were interviewed by every single college station you can imagine. Thank God. And it was beautiful, but it didn't generally reach outside of the campus. But SOU reached everywhere. And that's why they got entangled in all that BS years later with payola from the record labels and changing their format and I think a couple of guys went to jail or something from that, like that were working at SOU because they were taking money for for playing music. 
but they did have that much powerful reach. And that's why that happened. No label was going to throw money at a college station to get anything done unless they really made a big difference and an impact. And I can tell you that the next book, when we get into like the nonfiction years for me, we talk about SOU in the first book and how great they were because we have photos of sabotage down there and whatnot, which are phenomenal. And SOU was definitely hooking back then in a big way. But they dramatically changed the landscape for us in terms of nonfiction. Like we would draw a few hundred people maybe to our shows. All of a sudden we're drawing a couple thousand because they played us all the time and made us big and they were impactful. They had a massive effect. Uh, excuse me. I just want to comment on that. Back in the day, I got my start in college radio, if you will, in high school. I had the luxury of being on a 5,000 watt station up here in Rochester. And remember the days subscribing to CMJ, the College Music Journal, and and the hard report, the hard report, the concrete. Yeah. And we took that platform, believe it or not, guys. There I was, a senior in high school, and we had the first. Uh, metal mayhem back in 86, 85, 86. And we interviewed Metallica on the master of puppets tour. There, there was, you know, we're 18 year old kids, but that's how it was back then. The, the grassroots, what you were talking about, Alan, of getting you, you've done hundreds, if not thousands of interviews, but there was no internet at the time. That was the pipeline. And, and it's sort of come full circle that that's when metal blew up. And then all the major radio stations got on the bandwagon. But here we are 35, 40 years later, and it's not at the forefront. And outlets like Metal Mayhem ROC, like what we're doing here, we're the new college stations from back then. It's just, much, you know? yeah. And we're the ones, you know, we have a global presence. So and thank you for doing that, brother. Thank you for yes, doing that. Thank you. <laughs> and we're able to take this platform and get the word out there. I'm telling you one thing, the publicists love it. The record labels love it. And they sure. show us the appreciation. And it's it's just a testament to the metal community. And it's just ironic that here we are 40 years into this metal, if not longer, metal crusade. And we're it's like history's repeating itself. So that, that's a, a testament to the new, it's a testament to the new media, too, for sure. Yeah. True. Alan, uh, when was the first time you had a chance to see Metallica? See any of those uh, Ride the Lightning tour or anything? I or, saw Metallica on the Ride the Lightning tour at Lemoore with Wasp and Armored Saint opening up. Yep. I was there too. That was yeah. a great gig. Great gig. I became friends with John Bush as a result of that gig. And he tried to help Hades get signed, believe it or not. And he was just such a gracious, cool dude. He was. And remains to be yeah. there for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, a couple of weeks ago, we saw him up in um, Cleveland and we uh, had a chance to have a sit down with Joey Vera and we um I tell this story and I'll share it with you guys. I I had tickets to the Buffalo, New York Metallica Wasp Armored Saint show, but it uh there was a huge blizzard and um the show went on, but uh old man Vertomatic didn't let me and my buddies go because we were like in 10th grade, and uh so we so so we missed the show and mm. Talked to John Bush on several occasions. I mentioned it to him and he had full recollection of it. Uh, Joey Vera, the same thing. So, you know, first of, of all, you got you guys never you never get real snow up in Buffalo. Please stop crying about that. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not secondly, in Buffalo. I'm in Rochester. So I'm only, I'm only kidding. <laughs> no, when we went to see Lamour, uh, the Metallica show. I remember pulling up and, and walking up to the venue and there had to be I don't know, 200 people or more outside in line, all singing acapella Metallica songs at the top of their freaking lungs. And it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And I was up in the front of the line. (laughs) It was so great. It was so great. What about that famous Roseland gig that Metallica did back then? That Um, one I didn't go to. Uh, I wasn't there. I had another friend of mine, my friend Kevin photographed that show that show that was the show that uh the band got signed yeah yeah man the history and it's not just jersey i'm envious of you guys i talked to you know i talked to walt about this stuff and you know we text you know all the time and he's like you know every night he's somewhere 
I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, ah, I was bored. So I'm, you know, over here. He's checking. Metal Walt. He's Metal Walt. Yeah. <laughs> let's listen. It's, it's, it's living in this area of the country. I mean, Alan, I think you and I are close by each other. I'm in East Hanover, but, you know, five, six shows a month is not unreasonable. The kids go to bed. My wife doesn't care. I just leave. It's, it's fine. <laughs> You're it's harmless, you know. You got to have your time to have some fun. Exactly. And- I don't golf. I don't gamble. I don't really drink. So what else are we supposed to do, you know? And, and it's yeah. awesome. So. Hey, uh, hey, Alan, I want to give you uh, a chance to shamelessly plug yourself. And you started touching base on this a little bit. But, you know, you were uh, a legendary singer for, the, for you know, stalwarts, Hades and nonfiction and some other bands, um, you know, throughout the 80s and 90s and even into 2000. So tell okay. us about that period of time. And also, like, what are you up to now as a musician? Honestly, the book stuff has been totally commandeering all my time, as my band members can attest to. Uh, I have a band called Level Fields with two guys in Germany and my bass player, Clint, who was in a band called Automauer with me back in the, like 2009, uh, who lives right here in Chatham, close to all of us, because I'm in Denville, so I'm very close to you in East Hanover. Yeah. Uh, um, so kind of on hold, my guitar player did send me a riff, uh, like an assemblage of a few riffs two days ago, and he goes, I know you're really busy. <laughs> He's like, what do you think of these riffs? But we literally have about a dozen songs ready to almost go but i gotta kind of put the brakes on it and honestly nobody has cd players anymore so we're gonna probably just release one song at a time digitally and i'm gonna work on i'm sure you do (laughs) we're gonna work on one song at a time and just and knock them out and release them digitally one one offs you know what i mean but the book is kind of taking priority for me to get it you know done especially now i gotta reverse one but Definitely still saying, you know, solid playing. I have a lot of friends that play in cover bands around here, and I'll just sit in with them every now and then just to stay fresh and keep singing in front of a mic. But, you know, that's kind of the extent of it right now. The last segment before we let you guys go, I want to have a little fun with you, and this will be like a little rapid-fire section. I, uh, uh, You know, Frank, you probably photographed at every venue imaginable over the last 30, 40 years, but I'm going to just throw some names out there of venues. Um Tell us quick impressions, likes, dislikes, dumps. So and for both of you guys, so let's have some fun. Here we go. Studio one. Um, I, I loved going to the club. It was in a sketchy neighborhood, but, but I enjoyed all the show. Had a great time photographing the bands that I saw there. Yep. Absolutely hated lugging the gear up all those stairs. It sucked shit. It was so fucking difficult. And we always worked and hustled. So it was a well worth gig after we played it because, you know, getting the gear back into the truck was like the best part of the night. But we had many, many good shows there for sure. Yep. It was a it was a it was a legendary clubber for a short period of time. Next one, the cricket club in Irvington. Uh, another sketchy area. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't go to too many shows there. Uh, only that, you know, were really kind of like more like uh, one day festival shows. Some of the people I remember one time, you know, hanging out with Guar uh, outside, you know, in their van, you know, drinking up some beers and stuff back in the day and, you know, having a good time. And, uh, you know, there was other bands there. We, you know, just chit chat, you know, be the before or after they went on. But I, I got some good images from that place as well. And, yeah. and like pretty much all the other uh, places in the area, you know, I had a, a chance to photograph at many venues in my uh, many years of photographing shows. So Cricket Club, I remember doing an SOU show there. Life of Agony used to open up for us all the time with nonfiction, but they ascended far beyond our reach, and we were opening for them at this SOU show. And I remember Keith Caputo, who I know is Mina now, but at the time was Keith, uh, getting up there and singing, and he was like in a full suit. I'm like, that's the coolest thing. He's in like a three-piece suit. And I think he had just like come from a wedding or something. And he jumped up on the stage just because he came from the wedding. And he was in his suit. But I thought it was so badass. One of the other memorable moments was when I photographed uh, Seven Witches with Jack Frost. And the guys were all dressed up with uh, witches hats. <laughs> nice. I thought that was pretty funny. That's funny. Yeah. Well, here's a here's a great one that we all is it was a legendary place, the Birch Hill Nightclub in Oldbridge. 
Well, I could tell you, we used to open for Edgar Casey there when I was in nonfiction. Edgar Casey was a cover band, but there would be 2,000 people there. We'd be able to go swimming in the pool outside before the club opened. We'd go back inside. Art Stock treated us really well. And those were some really monumental shows because we reached a lot of people from Middle and, and South Jersey that we normally wouldn't be playing for because they were there really to see Edgar Casey, And we kind of won over a lot of fans that way. That was during the SOU years, too. So it just like grew exponentially from that. It was a great club, great club. That was an amazing place because you used to drive down Route 9. You would stop at Bourbon Street Go-Go Bar. It's a pregame. Then you go to the Birch Hill, pull in the dirt road, and on the way back, do the U-turn and either hit the Peter Pank Diner or the uh, the White Castle and get home around four in the morning. That's right. I, I stopped at that White Castle. <laughs> I have a question. You said art stock. Yeah. Because uh, we used to have clubs up here, art stocks, playpen north. That's right. right. Well, Art Stock, that was way north. He he was the kingpin <laughs> of clubs back in the day, and the, probably the mostly the seventies and definitely the eighties. Uh, he owned like the most liquor licenses, I think, in the state at one point. And he also had a, a place in Florida too. Yeah, in the Fort Lauderdale. He was all over the place. Art Stock. Ah, jeez, it's that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. And I think he was associated with Club Bene as well, which is also down in that central central Jersey area. I don't know that yeah. he was, but okay. possibly. I mean, he, yeah. he had his fingers in everything, Art. Yep, yep. And Frank, of course, near and dear to your heart was uh, a place that I love that I don't think it ever be replaced was the Brendan Byrne Arena because he had the big walkway across to the stadium. You parked at Giant Stadium. You drank your beers. You raised hell, banged on the, on the thing going across the stadium, yeah. beer bottles all that. over the place. And you know what? You parked in the parking lot. Now it's just, you know, you got the mall over there and the big uh, parking garages. And it, it's not the same going down to the Prudential Center in Newark. That was just a place no. uh, that we all cut our teeth yeah. in. Yeah, it's definitely changed. I wish I wish the uh, arena, you know, opened back up. I mean, it's still there. Yeah, It's just, you know, they decided to move all the concerts down to Newark. I mean, I, I really loved going to the arena because it was so close to my home. And, um, you know, I felt like, wow, this is I didn't have to pay toll or anything. <laughs> you know, it was right down the street. Yeah. And uh, I always, you know, had a really good time hanging out in the park, you know, tailgating and uh, got some nice photographs outside, too. You know, at some of those events. And uh, I, I missed that place. Yeah. And, you know, I hope one day that they do something, you know, maybe open it back up. But I don't think that's going to happen. I'm just no. you know, it's just, uh, uh, it's like a, I was down there for the Jet Miami game with my wife and kids a couple months ago. and We parked right outside of there and I was pointing to my boys and said, you see this place, how many games and concerts I saw there. It's like a it's like a ghostly building there just rotting yeah, yeah. away. So, so I've been to the mall next door and they have a ski slope in that place. Yeah. You know, it's like, wow, it's yeah. Czar. Yeah. That'll it's always so, be the metal, cool, the metal lands to us guys, the metal lands. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. So we had to make sure we honored that place by having that, you know, did, venue. And did they um, really call it the metal lands? Yeah. The oh, metal yeah. lands. It's the, the metal lands. I mean, it's cool, yeah. but it sounds too cool. easy. <laughs> <laughs> So, hey, guys, we really appreciate your time tonight. Um, I don't know if you have any last parting remarks, but at least tell us and the listeners, where can you go to get the book? Christmas is coming up. Perfect time yeah. to buy the book. Um, JerseyMetalBook.com. JerseyMetalBook.com. And thank you guys for the interview. It was freaking awesome. Yes, great. it was. I appreciate it. Just, just to remind everyone, the book, A History of the Garden State Metal Scene, Volume 1. Like the guys just said, find it everywhere. Buy yourself one, buy your friends one, and interact with these guys. Uh, are you guys on Twitter, uh, Facebook, any of that? Oh, we're on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Jersey okay. Metal. Jersey Metal. We'll have all this uh, in the show notes, too. So, oh, Thank you, guys. I'll let Walt say goodbye. I look forward to getting the book. Best of luck and stay in touch. Thank Thanks, you. brother. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. Hey, guys, it was awesome. Let's keep in touch, right? We're neighbors. I'm sure we'll Thanks, see you at shows. Yes, I hope so. You guys so. want to go out and get a beer one night? Just give me a ring, Alan. You got my number. Awesome, brother. Cool. Thank you so Thank much, you. Metal Walt. All right, guys. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Thanks, All right, guys. guys. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.
Metal for life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.